So you guys just got a taste of what we get every Friday night, which is phenomenal. Uh, Julia, who is on keys, uh, she's been leading us uh, and doing a fantastic job. And we also had uh, Natalie and Alyssa on keys. Uh, We are very blessed uh, to have them and and others who also help to lead us in worship. Uh, You may notice at this point Uh, that I am not Pastor Dave. Uh, Pastor Dave is on a well-earned vacation, uh, so I get a chance to talk this morning. Uh, My name is Adam Bullmeyer, and my normal job uh, here is to serve as our Director of Family Ministry, which means I get the chance to hang out with our youth and our kids, uh, which is phenomenal. Uh, But today, I'm excited to be with you guys. I'm excited uh, to turn to God's Word and to talk about it together. So I've been working here at the church full-time for a little over a year, but that is not my first role. Uh, My first and primary role is to be a husband to my wife, Ashley. You met her earlier, uh, as well as a father to my two kids. Uh, You can see Gabe up there. He just finished first grade, um, and he's very excited for the summer ahead. And the one sticking her tongue out at us, that is my daughter, Addie. Uh, She is four years old and going into her last year of preschool. Uh, And as I'm sure it is very apparent, even from the minute and a half I've been speaking, uh, I just want to make it known that I am a broken sinner and I am in need of God's grace daily, just like everybody else. So like I said earlier, I am thrilled to be with you this morning. Uh, Normally, I get to teach on Fridays, so Sundays is a little different for me. Uh, But luckily, I have received several really helpful good pieces of advice leading up to this morning. And I just want to take a second to share a few of them with you. And these pieces of advice have come from Pastor Dave. Uh, He's in Florida right now, but the past couple weeks, he has uh, walked me up to this time, guiding me, giving me feedback, and encouragement which I am super grateful for, um, from my wife, from friends, from co-workers. Uh, the advice they gave included what to do with my hands while I'm up here. Um, it is hard to know where to put your hands at times, uh, on your head or, or wherever. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Uh, they gave me advice on what to wear. Uh, they gave me advice on how to prepare for this morning. The best piece of advice that I got, well, that was simply to focus on teaching and talking about Jesus, and to connect everything back to him. Uh, That's what we're really striving for this morning. Those were all really good pieces of advice, but not every piece of advice nor every opinion we hear is necessarily as good. And today, it seems like we live in a society where there is no shortage of people who are quick to share their opinion, This could be about politics, this could be about social issues, and they share it all over the place, face-to-face, maybe on social media, Twitter or Facebook, uh, even in our news media today. And here's the catch, guys. If your view is different from someone else's, increasingly, you are going to hear about it. And when you hear about it, that can often lead to arguments. Sometimes it leads to bitter, ugly arguments. It can frankly be challenging and overwhelming to navigate. And maybe it's a little bit easier when it's the news media because you can change the station or turn off the radio or stop reading that news story you started. But when it's someone directly in front of you, a real, live, breathing person, it gets to be a little more difficult. So as people who strive to follow Jesus, 
Jesus makes it clear what our job is. He tells us in Matthew 22, uh, starting in verse 34, he is asked by the religious leaders what the greatest commandment is. They're, they're trying to trap him with this question, but Jesus responds, first, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. He says that is the first and greatest commandment, but he says the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Just a quick show of hands, who has heard this passage before? Yeah, it is very common, uh, but it is a very big command. And frankly, that second part about loving our neighbors, that's a lot easier when you're engaging someone who doesn't hold a completely opposite viewpoint as you. So this applies to times when we're talking with complete strangers, or maybe a neighbor, or even our family. Maybe it's even our spouse or our kids at times. God gave me a crash course in this idea of loving someone who maybe is in opposition to you during my sophomore year at the Colorado State University. Uh, a man who called himself Brother Matt he came to campus and he stood in the busiest section of CSU on a rock and he had a sign that said, God hates, and he finished that thought with a derogatory term for gay people. And he uh, was equipped with a Bible and his sign and he stood on that rock and he yelled condemnation to everyone, frankly, but specifically to those people who thought differently or lived differently than he thought they should. And he did this based on his first impressions of them, not knowing anything about the people. His biggest target was the CSU LGBTQ chapter. And as you can imagine, this caused quite the uproar on campus. Brother Matt was yelling at people, and he was doing this in anger, and people were yelling back in anger and frustration, just right back at him. Christian leaders and other leaders from campus, they begged Brother Matt to stop. He did this for three days, and they asked him to stop, and Brother Matt just kept yelling at people. And on the sidelines, there were a lot of people who were watching this entire scene, and they didn't quite know what to do. That, that's where I stood. I felt convicted that Brother Matt's approach of spewing hate and condemnation, maybe that wasn't the right way to get his point across especially as someone who claimed to be speaking for God. But at the same time, me, standing quietly on the sideline and watching this all happen, only to go home day after day after day, not saying anything, that didn't quite feel right either. Frankly, I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. So what does God call us to do in these situations or situations where a family member, a close friend, maybe a complete stranger you're talking to has an opposite view as you? How does God's wisdom about engaging our neighbor, how does it help us during times of contention? That's really what we're chasing after this morning. But before we go any further, would you pray with me so we can invite God into our conversation? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for these people, and thank you for this place that we get to meet. God, I pray that as we turn to your word, you would speak to us, that we could hear it, and we could apply it to our lives, Father. Lord, thank you, and in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Oh, 
Thanks. Uh, so this morning, as we've heard, we're going to turn to the book of James uh, as we're chasing God's wisdom. Uh, James's goal in his book is to get up in your business. He, he just shoots it straight and tells you how it is. Uh, in this book, James is writing to a population of Christ followers, primarily in Jerusalem, but all over the early Christian world. And these people had no shortage of opposition uh, whether it was Roman occupation that they were still facing, whether it was Jewish leaders who were telling them, you're wrong, what you think is not right, and you should stop doing it, uh, whether it was simply a world who is against Jesus. In chapter 1, starting in verse 19, James gives us three pieces of profound God-inspired wisdom. He tells us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So we're going to touch on all three of these points this morning, but we're going to start with his command in verse 19 to be slow to anger. So we talked about the early Christians of the day that James is writing to. There was a lot of temptations to be angry, uh, whether it was the aggressive persecution that they were facing from all directions, whether it was being mocked or mistreated, or maybe it was the fact that they were facing a famine and there was a shortage of food. This might be the very first instance that we see hunger and anger together, so first hangry in the Bible. Uh, for us today, it's a different time period, but there's still a lot of temptations. Uh, there are small things in our life that produce anger. Maybe it's a fender bender or someone cutting you off in traffic. Maybe you're feeling like you're not being heard or treated fairly. For my daughter, you saw her earlier, she gets angry when I tell her to pick up the toys that she just dumped out all over the floor. For me, I get angry when I accidentally step on the toys that my daughter just dumped out all over the floor. You, you understand. Thank you very much. Also, naturally, there's bigger things that produce anger, more complex things that get us heated. Specifically, I'm talking about political and social viewpoints, especially when you're talking to someone who has a different point of view than you do. This could be pro-life versus pro-choice. This could be masks versus no masks. You have something in your head. You can fill in the blank. Sometimes it can feel like anger is the easy route it can feel, frankly, gratifying, and it can temporarily feel good to express anger. Gabe, my son, he really likes this YouTube series called Dude Perfect, and it's a series of uh, a group of guys from Texas who became famous for doing trick shots. They would do things like climb to the top of a stadium and throw a basketball off and try and make a hoop. Uh, as they've gotten popular, they've expanded what they're doing, and they do now stereotype videos. They're comical videos that make fun of certain situations, like eating at a restaurant or flying on an airplane. Their most recent one was about being a new parent. Uh, and in these videos, there's a character called the Rage Monster. And inevitably, something happens to him. It could be getting a drink spilled on him. It could be uh, getting made fun of. And he tries to control his anger, but he just can't. And eventually, he just explodes. And he smashes everything in sight. And he breaks everything. And he starts yelling. And he does it in a very, very funny way. But I'm here to tell you, at times, I can relate to the rage monster. Maybe you can, too. When something gets me mad, or I get in a heated debate with someone, especially when I get in a heated debate with someone, 
I may not go on a rampage, thank goodness, uh, but rather than being slow to anger as God commands us, my sinful nature wants to let people have it. It wants to get my point across, my convictions across by force. In verse 20 and 21 of our passage today, James warns us about the potential consequences of anger. He says in verse 20, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's a simple point, but I'll say it one more time. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In fact, rather than righteousness, or even allowing opportunities to show love to our neighbors, anger it frequently instead leads to moral and spiritual stains in our life. It's not the goodness and truth of God that we're yelling at people. Instead, we're just letting out our inner ugly, our inner sinful nature. Anger also leads to self-focus. And all too often in our self-focus, we stray away from what God is calling us to. We're following our own agenda. We're not following God's agenda. James continues in verse 21 that rather than turning to anger, which leads to rampant wickedness, we are to receive with meekness, or another translation says, to receive with humility the word planted in your soul. Meekness could possibly be the exact opposite of anger. James isn't talking about our society's most common definition of meekness today, which points to being timid or shy. James is pointing to receiving God's word with a disciplined calmness and a teachable heart. This is God's word that tells us things like what it says in Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. It's the same word that we read earlier that calls us to love our neighbor, not to anger them into submission, but to love them. Just a quick note. In this passage, James doesn't tell us to be, uh, doesn't tell us not to be angry at all. He rather warns us to be slow to it. Jesus himself displayed anger several times. As you read the Gospels, pay attention to what Jesus was angry at and how he displayed his anger. Maybe that's different than how we're tempted today. A good place to start would be in Mark 11, where Jesus curses a fig tree and then clears the temple courts. For Brother Matt, and for the people responding to Brother Matt, getting angry, and getting angry at the people he was in conflict with, well, it didn't lead neighbors to feeling loved, nor did it point them to Jesus. It just led to more anger, and it's often the same with our own anger. So when we're in these situations, especially when we're engaging contentious people, and we feel ourselves starting to veer towards being angry, well, what can we do? I think it starts by remembering our big goal as Christians. Do we care more about getting our point across, or maybe even being right? Or do we care about showing love to the person, or the people, or the group we're engaging, building a relationship with them, planting seeds that God can grow into maturity, not me, God grows the seeds into maturity. Inevitably, we're going to feel anger. We're humans. It's part of our nature. But when we start to go down that path, why don't you try inviting the Lord into the situation? Say a prayer, even a quick breath prayer. 
Ask the Lord to give you strength, maybe to help you see the person you're engaging the way that he sees them. Finally, take time to listen and ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? Don't just react. So how does God's wisdom on engaging our neighbors help us during times of contention? Well, it starts by controlling our anger and rather through disciplined calmness and a teachable heart, accepting God's word, which tells us simply to love our neighbor. So if anger isn't necessarily what's right in these situations or what we're called to, what are we called to? James tells us not to be too cliche, but he tells us that our actions will speak louder than our words. And he starts by suggesting in verse 22 and 23 that we listen not just to those around us, which is also a very good practice, but to listen to God's word. What a radical idea. We should listen to God's word. We should not only hear it, but as we hear it, we're to do it, to put it into action. James compares this to someone who's looking into a mirror. When James wrote this, they didn't have the shiny glass mirrors that we do today. Instead, uh, mirrors were most commonly made out of copper or polished bronze. And when you looked at them, they would produce a dim, warped reflection. So to get an impression of yourself, to really check yourself out in the mirror, uh, it, it required that you look intensely and you study carefully. And it's the same with God's word to glance at it, you can get a quick impression, but to get the full picture of God's word, what it says, and how God calls us to respond to it, well, that takes careful observation and study as well. So for the religious leaders of James's time, they knew God's word. They studied it, and they memorized it every single day. But when they encountered Jesus, when they saw the fulfillment of God's perfect law before them, they couldn't see it, most of them. They forgot what the mirror was showing them. For us today, a quick look in the mirror might give you an impression of your appearance, but you miss the fine details that are important. You miss the spinach in your teeth. You miss the, the careful details of your eye color. You miss the character in your face, the details that God has crafted in you. And it's the same with God's word. Even in this passage today, if you do a quick look at it, you might see a list of rules that are do's and don'ts just from what we've said so far. Don't be angry or at least be slow to it. Do listen. But then you're missing the careful details behind it. This is not just a passage that tells us to try harder to get better. Instead, you see a piece of God's perfect law that law that leads to liberty and to freedom, and that is exemplified by Jesus, by his actions, and by his ultimate sacrifice for us. So as a church, we built this idea of putting the word into practice, and we put it in our discipleship model. We presented this to you all earlier this year, and even now, there's ministry leaders from all around the church who are working to put this into practice in what they're doing one of the key focuses we built into this model was a biblical focus, meaning we study, we trust, and this is very important. We apply the Bible to our lives while asking the Holy Spirit how to respond. It's not just about reading God's word, not just about hearing it, 
It's about putting it into practice. And as we actually do God's word, James tells us our efforts, that they're going to be blessed. As we seek to listen to God's word and hear the people we're engaging, God starts to work for his purposes, not necessarily our purposes, but his purposes. You might have noticed that we've also taken this idea and started to put it into practice during worship services. Uh, Pastor Dave calls this time listening to Jesus. And we'll hear a, a passage, we'll hear from Pastor Dave, we'll read it, and then he'll give us a quiet moment to process it, to ask God, what do you want me to do with this today? How do you want me to respond? So this is a great practice to apply to your individual times of studying scripture also. After you read a passage, pause for a moment, quiet your heart, and simply ask Jesus what he wants you to do with what you just read. Maybe, maybe if you're really a risk taker, ask God to give you opportunities to put it into practice that very day. Try it, see what happens. So how does God's word how does God's wisdom on engaging our neighbor help us during times of contention? Well, it simply teaches us to hear people first, to listen to them, even when we don't necessarily agree with what they're saying. And as we hear God's word, we can strive to put it into practice. So James's final piece of wisdom in our passage this morning, well, it goes hand in hand with being quick to listen as we hear we are then to be slow to speak. We're not to blurt out our thoughts, which my thoughts are usually pretty good. Um, joke, joking. Uh, but we're supposed to be slow to speak. I think there's a difference between being slow to speak and not speaking at all. I found that out in my experience with Brother Matt. Words have power. And in our world today, there are more opportunities than ever before to communicate and share our thoughts, whether that's written, whether it is face-to-face. -face. In fact, I can share my opinion, my thoughts with the entire world and the time it takes me to take out my phone, to launch an app, to type a couple of sentences, and then to post it. And while printed words hurt, our words that are spoken face-to-face -face with someone can cause even more pain when they're unguarded. James gives us a warning about this. Specifically, he warns us when we think that we are religious people, when we consider ourselves to be devoted to God, when we strive to follow his law, he cautions us about what will happen when we don't control and when we don't bridle our tongue. He expands this idea in chapter 3 uh, of his book, uh, he tells us some of the dangers. He says, at our best, our tongues can be used to speak words that bless people, that bless the Lord God. But our tongues, the same tongues, can also curse people, can spew anger or hate. And as we use our tongues as a weapon and we don't control them, well, James compares it to a small fire which sets the entire forest ablaze. Guys, we live in Colorado. We have seen the damage forest fires can cause over the past couple of years. It's a lot of damage. When we let our tongues loose, when we take off the bridle and we let them just run wild, when we can't control our speech, especially when we're supposed to be representatives of God, 
Well, James tells us that we deceive our hearts. The religion that comes from our unguarded words, well, that religion is worthless. There is no life in that religion. Frankly, our uncontrolled speech, it doesn't point people to God most of the time. It simply points them to our own sinful nature. James suggests that there is something better, that there is something purer. The ultimate expression of how we can engage our neighbor is in how we love God and how we love those around us, and it balances justice and personal holiness. So justice, in its most biblical, basic biblical definition, it looks like this, and it comes from Isaiah 117. It says, to learn to do good, to seek justice, to correct oppression, and to bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Justice, in the case of what James is telling us this morning, well, that looks like visiting and serving and caring for the most vulnerable around us. That alone is a very, very tall and time-consuming task, but it's not enough. We need to balance this, visiting and serving people, with also following God's commands, not necessarily following what the world says, but following what God calls us to. Striving for justice and living and following a life that God is pleased with. Separate, they are good, but they're not enough. Together, they are a life-bringing combination. Again, referring back to our discipleship model that we're working through as a church, there's another key area that we built into this vision. It is a missional area. We talk about sharing Christ through loving word and action. And one specific section of this component talks about seeking opportunities of sustained prayer and service efforts to an underserved demographic with a consistent focus to build relationships. So our goal as a church body, maybe as smaller groups of the church, or our goal as individuals, it's to serve and reach the underserved, not necessarily immediately telling them how to fix the situation they're in or what they're doing wrong or how they can do it better. Rather, it is by serving them in action and building relationships. So how does God's wisdom on engaging our neighbor help us in times of contention? Well, it helps us to control our tongues and to bring life through our actions rather than hate through our words. So just a quick review as we start to wrap up. We are called to engage our neighbors, whether we agree with them or not, by being slow to anger, by controlling your temper, by being quick to listen and hear, and being slow to speak, controlling our tongue and advocating for a biblical picture of justice, while also striving to please God. It sounds simple, but guys, those three commands can be a baseball bat of do's and don'ts in our life. They're, they're frankly legalistic. And I'm going to tell you, as someone who does this again and again, we are going to fail time after time after time. But take heart, Faith Church. We know the one who can and who did this perfectly of course, I'm talking about Jesus, and he gives us pictures of how to do this all throughout the Gospels, specifically in John 8. He's teaching in the temple courts 
when a group of religious leaders, they bring a woman that they had caught in the act of adultery, and they ask Jesus to follow the law of Moses, which would, which would be to stone her. But Jesus displays how to respond. He is slow to anger. He doesn't turn to rage at the Pharisees for trying to trap him, nor does he get angry at the woman for doing something that he didn't condone. Instead, he listens to the Pharisees. He listens to their pointed questions. And finally, when he does speak, he is deliberate with his words and the questions that he asks. And as the angry crowd disperses one by one, Jesus is left alone with a woman. And he starts to talk to her. And he doesn't let her have it. He doesn't give her a four-point sermon on why her actions are wrong. Uh, rather, he is slow to speak, and he asks her a simple question. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And he finishes with one final life-changing, life-bringing command. He tells her, go and sin no more. It is the perfect example of how to engage our neighbor, even those we might not see eye to eye with. Shows us how to engage them with love and action. And while we may fall short in this pursuit, we know that Jesus didn't. As we embrace more of Jesus and less of our own sinful nature, while the Holy Spirit starts to work through us, even through our insufficiencies. So as we've talked about, Brother Matt's approach to engaging his neighbors may not have fully followed what James is challenging us to this morning. And we've talked about that neither did my approach of doing nothing, staying quiet, and going home. But the story doesn't end there. Some of my friends and some leaders who were in Campus Crusade for Christ, which I was a part of them when I was at CSU, they witnessed the exact same events that I did, and they decided to take a slightly different approach. After these events had transpired at the center of campus, they asked the leadership of the CSU LGBTQ chapter if they could simply take them out to lunch, not with any agenda, but just to hear from them, just to listen to them. And they did just that, and armed with a humble gift of a plant, they listened, and they said they were sorry for what had happened, and they asked if they could pray with them, and they actually were able to pray with them. It was a simple gesture of love and kindness, and it was inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit. Was it perfect? Probably not. But it did point neighbors, maybe even those neighbors who may normally be in opposition toward each other, well, it pointed them to the true heart of Jesus. Let's pray, guys. Father, I am thankful. I am thankful for your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see how we can apply it to our lives. Lord, as we engage people, our neighbors, strangers, even our own family, Lord, help us to be slow to anger. Help us to hear them, to listen to them, to what they're saying. And Lord, help us to speak truth, not as a baseball bat, but in a loving way, Father. Help us to see people the way you do and treat them the way you do, Father. Thank you, and in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.